1: looking at the book of Colossians chapter 1 verses um, 15 through 22. So if you have your Bible or your uh, phone or whatever in front of you, or if you can follow behind me, that'd be fine as well, but here we go. Uh, Chapter 1 of Colossians verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realm and on earth he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all rise, from all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all His fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, and through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who are once far away from God. You are His enemies, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result. He has brought you into his own presence, and you're holy, blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. The word of the Lord.
0: To God. Thanks. You just <laughs> hide it somewhere. <laughs> <Sure>. uh, <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, I want to start, I'm giggling and this feels like a weird time to say this, but I want to start by saying that um, we lost one of our favorite humans and members of our church this week, Dottie Hall. And so for those of you who knew her, Dottie Was a precious, precious part of this congregation. She moved to Atlanta, or Atlanta, Alabama, like a year and a half ago, Uh, and so we've been missing her since then, and she passed away this week, and so I just wanted to make sure that you knew, and uh, Johnny told this story earlier that I felt like she would be very uh, proud of me for telling on the stage, but um, she used to read scripture a lot. That was one of her jobs here, and um, toward, uh, before she moved to Atlanta, it was getting harder and harder for her to get up on the stage, and so one time Johnny met her, and he was like, do you want to if you don't want to read scripture on the stage, we can just bring the scripture down to the floor if you want to read it from there. And her response was, oh, honey, I was made for the stage. (laughs) So if you didn't know Dottie Hall, now you do. Um, But I just want to take a minute and honor her and pray for her family, if that's okay. Uh, So Jesus, uh, we thank you uh, for one of your precious saints, Dottie. We thank you for her mark on this place, her mark in this room. I thank you that um, it's interesting to me that today we'll talk about stories because I don't know if I know a better storyteller than my dad's Tim Teague. And so I thank you for her, for who she was to me personally, the way she loved and encouraged me, took care of me. And I thank you for who she was and, and continues to be in this world. So we pray for her family. We pray for Roger, her husband, for her children, for her grandchildren, for her great-grandchildren. Uh, We ask that you would feel near to them in these moments, Uh, and then we just celebrate the life of someone who did it well, who wrestled and struggled and all the while was obedient to you always. She is like the long obedience in the same direction, and so we thank you for that kind of person in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um. So, around here, you may have noticed we're still kind of using Easter language, um, but we follow the church calendar here at Springbrook. And so, uh, Easter for us is 50 days. So, we have till Pentecost, and we're going to keep partying till Pentecost. So, uh, thank you, Victoria, for bringing treats this week. Whoever wants to bring next week, that's on you. You just you just take care of that yourself. Um, and we're just going to keep partying for the next, the next few Sundays. Um, uh, to get started today, I want uh, to play a little game. Um, the last time I played a game, I made Chad and Justin uh, uh, do, I believe, jumping jacks or push-ups or something. We're not going to do that today unless someone wants to. Feel free. Um, But this game is going to be called Guess the Person. I'm going to describe two different people. Um, and they're historical figures, and everyone in this room, I think, will know who they are. Uh, but this is going to be really boring if you don't actually guess people. So I'm just going to start reading some descriptions of a person. As soon as you think you might know who it is, go ahead and guess, because uh, if not, then that's really important for the podcast, because I don't want it to sound like this wasn't fun, okay? So, um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Aaron, please edit that part out. Um, you want it to seem natural, so. Um, okay. So uh, here's the first person, two people. First person, um, uh, this person is uh, or was a president, okay? Great, (laughs) guess. I don't even need to read. (laughs) We got it. Okay, very close. Um, (laughs) They grew up on a farm and were described as a very lazy worker. Oh my goodness gracious, that was it. Way to go. That was awesome. Very good. Yes, it was Abraham Lincoln. Um, I do want to add something that I didn't get to that feels very important. Abraham Lincoln. um, I did not know this. Did you know he participated in a combat? He was like a champion in a combat style of wrestling that became MMA. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. 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 Here's another one that I didn't get to read that also feels important. On his way to get married, someone asked him where he was going. And instead of saying to the church to get married, he said, to hell, I suppose. (laughs) You can Google. That's what I read. I don't know. That's what the Google said. Okay. Second person. Um, This person was born in Europe. Um they in the late 1800s they uh took singing lessons and sang in the church choir growing up. Um they also grew up on a farm uh like Abraham Lincoln but uh they were a beekeeper which I think is interesting. Um when they grew up they they most wanted to be an artist. One of you was correct. It was not Van Gogh, it is Hitler. <laughs> it is Hitler. Uh, did you know that? Did you know that Hitler made money selling watercolors? That was like how he made money, as as a young man. Okay, so um, here's why I did this. Because when you read these two descriptions, when you read about like combat style wrestling and an unwillingness to get married, and then you read about like the the artist and the painter, I just feel like like if I were just reading these blindly, I'm going to switch Abraham Lincoln and Adolf Hitler. And, and I think that the reason for that is because having like all of the parts of the story really help when you're trying to tell the story accurately. Like leaving out chunks and details can greatly influence um, how you read a story or, or how you interpret a story. Um, and a few years ago, uh, the thing that we're going to talk about this morning, uh, a few years ago... Um, and this, this idea was so impactful to me that I decided that every Sunday after Easter, I'm going to preach about the same thing. So if you've been here a, a while, then I'm sorry or you're welcome. Um, but uh, it has become a rhythm of ours to talk about this after Easter every single year. Uh, because a few years ago for me, I had this moment where uh, the pieces of a bigger story just sort of all started to fall into place. And it woke me up in a new way to like, the richness and the fullness of the scriptures, but also the work of the kingdom of God in the world. And so I think what I want to talk about today um, is the thing that I get asked about more than anything else that I I, I preach about. Um, Because like me, I think a lot of us grew up uh, hearing a really good part of the story, but missing some of the really crucial and important pieces of the story. Um, I say this a lot around here, but one of my great hopes uh, of things that we learn to do in this room is to learn how to, like, take a few steps back and to see a wider view of things. Um, It is very hard to see a whole story when it's like, all up in your face. My therapist calls it getting washed up. Um, that, that's how she pronounces it. I don't know if that's correct, um, but she she says that like when we're, when the story is so close to our face, sometimes we get uh, it's hard to see the greater details, the the bigger details. And so my hope today is um, is that when it comes to the Bible, we can take a couple of steps back and just like see the bigger, wider view of the Scripture. So today we're going to do all of the Old Testament and the New Testament, Genesis to Revelations. All today, get very comfortable because we're going to be here a while. I, I look forward to that joke every year and it never gets more than that giggle, but I, I'm just going to leave it in here. Just maybe next year. Um, uh, theologians and scholars, they call uh, what we're talking about today the meta-narrative of scripture, which essentially is just a big word for a big, wide view of the story of the whole Bible. Um, looking at the big, wide stories of the scriptures, it is important for us for a few reasons. Um, but one of them is this. We are people of story. That's part of what it means to be human: is to be um, a person of story. Story forms our history. It, it it is how we tell about our lives. It forms our cultures, our contexts. And the story that we live in, the, the stories that we live in, and the stories that we learn, they are incredibly important. They, they influence how we show up in the world. And as we've seen in our lifetime, they, they, they influence, how, they can alter the course of history. Just a story. Uh, there's a quote I love um, and sword of hate from an Austrian priest and philosopher named Ivan Illich. And I think we have a slide for this, Derek. Um, and he said this. Oh, well, okay, let me set it up. He, um, someone came to him once as a philosopher and said, what is the best way to change a society? And his expert opinion was this. He says this. He says, neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, you must tell a new and powerful tale. One so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story. One so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and our present into a coherent whole. One that shines uh, some light into our future so that we can take the next step. If you want to change society, you have to tell an alternative story. I believe uh, that the meta-narrative of Scripture, that it tells this kind of story, that it's the kind of story that, that gathers all the bits from the past and present into a coherent whole, while at the same time shining a light into the future to show us how and where to step as people. Uh, How the Bible begins and how it middles and how it ends. Uh, These are not uh, just a story for us to believe, but they also, they offer us like a lens of interpretation um, for the meaning of all of history, past and present and future. Uh, N.T. Wright calls the meta-narrative of scriptures uh, a public truth because it is the story of the whole world. It's the story the entire world has access to. It is a public truth. So let's take a look. Uh, In a very scaled out, simple uh, look, the Bible takes place in four parts or four chapters, four major sections. Um, I think we have a slide with all four of those. Uh, Creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. Uh, The stories of the scriptures, uh, they tell the story of creation, which is God's story for how things uh, came to be in the world. Uh, The the Bible tells us God made everything and called it good, and then he asked us to join in creation to tend and make and cultivate the things of flourishing. And then the Bible tells the story of the fall, which is an explanation for the way things are the way they are. Uh, Sin enters the world through Adam and Eve, shattering the shalom or the perfect peace and connection of creation. And then redemption, an explanation of the way things could be. God makes a way for us where there was no way, offering salvation to all through the life, death, and and resurrection of Jesus. And then uh, renewal, which is the explanation of the way things will eventually be, the active and imminent work of the kingdom of God to renew all things in the earth. Creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. Theologians call it the four part gospel. And Colossians 1, our text today, puts Jesus at the very heart and soul of the entire story. So here's what I want to do today. Um, and again, we do this every week after Christmas, but it just feels so incredibly important. What I want to do is I want to kind of zoom in on each of those four parts. And then we're going to zoom back out and talk about like, why it matters that we understand this story uh, in the world. Um, so first, we have creation. Uh, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, tells us that in the beginning, uh, before anything was made, God existed. And his spirit also existed. Uh, uh, Genesis tells us that his spirit hovered all of the emptiness and all of the darkness of the world. And it tells us that, that all of the things in the world were created by a creator God, Uh, our, Our text from today, Colossians 1, puts Jesus into this story. It says that Jesus was not only part of that creation, but supreme over all of it. Meaning that he is the source of purpose for all things created by God. Verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Everything was created through him and for him. God's story of creation tells us that uh, while God made all things, he made humans with this, like, distinction to them. Uh, And that distinction was that all humans, regardless of gender, were made in his image. They were created in and out of the image of God. Every single human. Created with uh, out of God's image, in God's image, but also with a unique connection to God. After creating the first man and woman, God uh, offers them a blessing and a commission that would last for all of humanity for all of time. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it. In this commission, he puts everything alive under the care of humans. Everything. Every plant, every tree, every animal, every bird, Every single thing alive, he puts under the care of humanity. In God's story uh, of how things came to be, it's made clear that while humans were uh, created with the capacity and the commissioning to cultivate and create alongside a creator God, in God's story of, of the world, being human means to be both tasked and empowered to bring order into the world for flourishing. Uh, That we have been tasked and empowered with the flourishing of the whole world. Uh, Theologians call this the the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. This commissioning from God to man to cultivate, to tend, uh, to alongside a creator God, create within a creation. And this is so important. Uh, the meta-narrative of scriptures begins with the presence of the Spirit, and the intricate and intentional and powerful creation of God, and the injection of purpose through Jesus for the flourishing of all of humanity and for the flourishing of the entire world. That's chapter one. Uh, chapter two, the next chapter in the big uh, meta-narrative, is the fall. And the explan- this is the explanation in God's story for how things are uh, the way that they are. Uh, this story happens really early in the story of the Bible. In the beginning, God creates the world, and it exists within something that the Bible calls shalom. That's the Bible word um, for this state of, like, ultimate peace and ultimate harmony. It's, it's the state that every religion is trying to return to. Um, and that is how God creates the world. A uh, Theologian Cornelius Plantiga has my favorite definition of shalom. And he says shalom is uh, the universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. That's what shalom is. Universal wholeness, flourishing, and delight. This is the way things were meant to be uh, connected in God's world. But early in the story, uh, a snake comes to Eve and offers her some fruit. But it's bigger than fruit. Uh, the offer of the fruit also comes with a promise that, that this fruit, the only fruit that God said not to eat in the whole garden, this fruit uh, comes with power. And that's why she should have it. And Adam and Eve, they aren't just tempted with this fruit. They take the bait and they eat the fruit. And as a result, uh, the shalom of God's created world cracks and everything is off track. The world, the animals, the humans, everything. According to God's story, what happens in the fall is that the ability to relate rightly with God and to relate rightly with each other and to relate rightly with creation, uh, all of that cracks in this moment. It is all damaged and every single thing under the sun feels the effects of that damage. For the first time, disorder and destruction enter the world at every level, personally, communally with each other, and cosmically all over the planet. And uh, death comes for the first time, and sadness comes for the first time, and destruction, and war, and fear, and pain, and striving, and anxiety, and suffering, and I could keep going on and on and on. And the whole world feels the impact of these things entering through this crack. On a cosmic level, uh, the fall darkens the goodness of the world. And then, according to God's story, its effects ripple and damage our ability to relate rightly anywhere. To relate rightly in the world, to relate rightly with each other, and to relate rightly to the God who created all of it for himself. Separating us from the God, uh, that, that's what Colossians 1 says, who made us for himself. Which thankfully leads to part three of the story. Uh, Chapter 3 in the meta-narrative is, um, I think, the greatest news in in, in the whole world, the story of redemption. It's the story of the God who could not leave us in the dark or leave us in the disorder or leave us in the destruction. It's the story of the God who comes after his people, who is chasing after us. We say that a lot around here. The beauty and the mystery of uh, the redemption of the cross of Jesus is that it puts into motion making all things right that lost their way in the fall. Jesus as the perfect example of of goodness and the perfect example of godness of what a human can be and what a God, or what God is uh, he, he's his perfect example and he settles the score left at the separation of the fall at every single level that's so important uh, through the life death and resurrection of Jesus redemption becomes possible at every single level that the fall cracked. Redemption becomes possible personally, but it also becomes possible communally and cosmically. As we read today, verses 19 and 20, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That's chapter 3. And then comes chapter 4. Uh, Because the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end in redemption. The final chapter of the big big, wide story of the scriptures is renewal. It's it's the hope of restoration. Uh, We talked about uh, this last week. But God didn't just send his son to settle the score of the fall. But also to restore and to renew the earth back to a place of flourishing. To put things back together. To fill the world with more of the good stuff of heaven. And the Bible is full of language about this, of heaven coming to earth and overtaking it, where uh, creation and created thi- creative things are rescued and restored and empowered and flourishing. The Bible uses uh, phrases like uh, wastelands that turn into full and, and vibrant streams. Um, ashes become beauty. Sorrow and sadness, uh, as Samwise Gamgee says in Lord of the Rings, start to become untrue. A perfect creation fell into destruction. And since that moment, the God who made us has been working to redeem and reconcile and restore and renew the things that he made. It's the work of his kingdom here on the earth. Creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. And for 1,800 years, this is the story the church told Creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. But about 200 years ago, the story started to kind of narrow. The, the roots of the shift are, are, are definitely worth researching on your own. And we don't have time for today. But here's a very broad flyover of what happened. Uh, during the, About 200 years ago, during the second great awakening um, in the late 18th, ni- early 19th century, the revivalists started to narrow their focus in preaching um, to the ideas of personal sin and individual salvation. So they took four parts and kind of narrowed the view down to two. And then the second great awakening leads to a third, which kind of continues the narrowing. And by the early 20th century, fundamentalism is on the rise and fundamentalism has has kind of zoned in on these two sections. And then um, both out of and in a reaction to fundamentalism, evangelicalism is birthed and In evangelicalism, one of the things that remained from fundamentalism is uh, this narrowed view of the story. Uh, What remained in evangelicalism is that a four-chapter gospel became more of a two-chapter gospel. A story about uh, the fall and a story about redemption. The story of creation, fall, redemption, and renewal kind of zoomed in to predominantly only talking about two things. And talking about them um, pretty much exclusively on a personal level, the idea of personal sin and individual salvation. And this shift in teaching over the last two centuries has resulted in a in a smaller and shorter version of the meta narrative uh, being told, rather than the big, wide story. And it isn't that the revivalists, uh, revivalists, or the fundamentals or even us evangelicals, have denied that the other two chapters exist. It's just that we've kind of allowed them to fade into the background. Or like we talked about last week, to steal from an analogy then, we've kind of put them in the back seat and we've let the other two drive the car. And so because of that, the predominant story of the wider evangelical story has been a two-part story. And it isn't that it's a bad story or an untrue story. I think it's very good and very true. It's just not the whole story. By allowing half the story to ride in the back seat, in many ways we have narrowed our view of God and narrowed our view of His story. And that has resulted in the, in the church offering the world a really good story about sin and salvation, but a less compelling story about things like uh, beauty and work and culture and, and the care of the world. We've, we've not done a very good job at explaining how meals can be like a spiritual experience or uh, art museums or good music impact us at a spiritual level or how sunrises and sunsets have a deep and wide impact on our Souls, we've not uh, done a very good job for offering um, explanations for things like identity and dignity, or or art, or music, or ethics, or creativity, or human flourishing here and now on the earth. But I think this narrowed view of the story—it it doesn't just impact how we see the world now. I think it also has caused us to paint a pretty unbiblical picture for uh, where God is taking the world in the future. Because when creation and renewal ride in the back seat, uh, Christian culture has adopted something that N.T. Wright calls pie-in-the-sky escapism. It's a view of the world where God sucks all of his people into the sky before he blows up the earth in the end. Which, by the way, is a mediocre-at-best book series, but not at all the story that the scriptures tell. I used to listen to a book on tape in Sunday school. That's not a joke. Um... God's story, it begins on the earth. And please hear me say this, it also ends on the earth. Those things are true. As Jesus followers, we don't get to escape the world. We are tasked to join God in the renewal of it. There's a Dutch theologian uh, named Herman Bavinck, and he says that when we don't tell the whole story, we get the impression that nothing much about this world matters. But the Bible Jesus they don't tell that kind of story rather they tell the story of of creation of honor of dignity of very much about this world mattering we were not created or redeemed in order to escape the earth uh, but instead to cultivate it to care for it to join God in the renewal of it Uh, The Bible doesn't tell the story of the God who blows up the earth. Rather, it tells the story of the God who made the earth and is actively renewing it. And will see that through to completion. Who is filling it with joy and new purpose and delight. And who has asked his people to join in that work. Heaven is, uh, I'm stealing from NT right here. Heaven is so unbelievably important, but it isn't the end of the story. A renewed earth is the end of the story. The middle two chapters, they are powerful and they are essential, but so is the beginning and so is the end. Uh, I say this every year, but I think it's really true. Allowing these two chapters to fall into the background has resulted in in the church offering the world a story of conversion, but what God asks us to do is offer a story of transformation. And those are different. And when it comes to transformation and shalom, all four parts of the story are crucial For example, uh, when renewal gets to be part of the story, then what we said today becomes true that things that are sown in weakness get to be raised in promise. And that is good news for me. I hope it is for you. In God's story, uh, here's another piece of it. In God's story, the story doesn't start with sin. I don't know what story you grew up hearing, uh, but please hear me today. The beginning of God's story is not that you are a sinful and broken person. I know pretty much all of you in the room, and you are. No offense. But that isn't the beginning of your story. I believe that the beginning of the story matters, and the story that God tells is that our story doesn't start with broken. It starts with us being made in the image of God as the crown jewel of his whole creation, That we were created in shalom, for shalom, and in perfect peace and harmony and community and flourishing with God and with each other and with the creative world. Our beginning is one of dignity, and it is one of creativity. You were made as an image bearer of God, the creator himself, and you have been empowered to join him in that work of creation and in the work of renewal. Allowing the story of creation to fade in the background has, has greatly impacted things like how we work and how we live and how we play, how we care for the earth and how we imagine for it, how we show up in the world and bring the kingdom of God with us. Where we begin, it matters greatly. And so does how we end our story doesn't end with us being redeemed by Jesus and then like staring at our feet until it ends or until he comes back or until we go to heaven. Uh, our, our story ends differently. Redemption is very, very good news, but it isn't the end of the story. Uh, Tim Keller talks about the rescue of Jesus and he says, It's not just a wonderful plan for my life, but a wonderful plan for the world. It's about the coming of God's kingdom to renew all things. The end of the story is renewal, redemption that leads not to escape the world, but to be part of putting it back together. And God's people joining him in that work of renewal, filling the earth with more of the good things of heaven. Uh, The end of the story uh, looks a whole lot like the beginning of the story. The end of the story is one of harmony and community and flourishing and wholeness and delight. And we get to be part of bringing it to quote uh from the scripture today uh and this includes you all of us so here's what i want to do uh we're going to take a minute it's a it's a rhythm of ours to take a breath uh at the end of the sermon we call it selah and and you can use the time however you want there'll be scriptures on the screen and and allow the holy spirit to do uh, whatever needs to happen in you um but i have a couple of questions if they're helpful the first is this. Um, is there a part of the story that kind of rides in the backseat for you? Maybe it's confusing or maybe you haven't learned much about it. Um, and I wonder what it is, and, and I wonder if you could get curious about the impact of it. Uh, here's the second one. Um, where is it that the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to expand your view? Um, how, here's how I wrote it How does the impact Jesus has had in my life Personally need to like, Go from looking down to looking up uh, Where do I need to see uh, uh, The redemption of Jesus As a communal thing As a cosmic thing Where do I need to see beyond myself And then here's a, here's a third idea um, If I was created to join God In the work of creation and renewal How does that impact how I see My work today or see how I, I exist in the places I live and work and learn and play today.